Welcome back to Is It Horror? This is Season 3, Episode 7, The Secret of Nim. I'm Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm Matt. And I am Steve. If you haven't joined us before, each episode we analyze a piece of media, usually a movie, whose horror status is debatable. We look at the creator's intent, audience reception, and the content of the media, all in an effort to better define the horror genre. If you agree with our take, that's awesome, and if you don't, that's awesome too. As always, horror is a diverse genre, and all are welcome. And before we get into The Secret of Nim, we're going to everyone's favorite corner, Joe's Get to Know You Corner. So, Joe, take it away. Okay, uh, Secret of Nim. That's a movie that I watched a lot as a child. Um, and this question I thought was great. It's a Brianna's suggestion. Uh, what Secret of Nim character do you most relate with and why? Well, I think that I am probably Auntie Shrew because I'm cranky, but I still feel the overwhelming need to make sure the kids don't die. That pretty much sums up my adulting skills. But sometimes I'm also Martin, because he's kind of a sassy pants. And, I don't know, uh, Auntie Shrew is kind of a badass, too, like, where she, like, right? runs in and pulls the, like, fuel line off the tractor and stuff. I don't know. She's pretty cool. Girlfriend's been doing Pilates, man. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, I don't know. I'd like to say I'm someone like Justin, but probably I'm more like Jeremy when it all comes down to it. Well-meaning, but clumsy and kind of stupid. So I, that's probably closer to me. <laughs> You're not stupid, Joe. I'm going to give you a hug later, but not during recording. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would say I relate with Mr. Ages because... I like being in my house, and I don't want to be bothered very much by people coming to visit me. Except Brianna when she comes to pick up uh, homework for the podcast. That's because you had comic contraband. It was amazing. Thanks for bailing me out, by the way. <laughs> Sorry I was late. I got you. I think that... uh Internally, I feel like my demeanor is probably closer to the great Al, but outwardly, at least as, in terms of positivity, that my demeanor probably seems a bit more like Justin, but far less sword-fighting, swashbuckling heroic. But mostly I just want to sit in the dark and eat spiders, I guess. <laughs> That's valid. You do you. Yeah. Side, side question. What... If you guys found yourself as a mouse, what I was thinking about this, like what would be the scariest thing? Like a cat, a owl, like the people, like what do you feel like would be the biggest threat to you? I think probably people. People are just generally awful and I feel like they're generally awful to rodents, so yeah, I feel like I could evade something like dragon or maybe a dog, but I don't know. Depends if I'm an athletically inclined rodent. I think one of the things I was thinking about with like owls, they're just so quiet when they fly and they just like kind of come out of nowhere. So I feel like probably reality would be that people would be maybe the most dangerous thing to me, but I'd be scared of owls because it's like certain death from any time, <laughs> like, and you wouldn't see it coming necessarily. I think the other thing about if you were snagged by owls, that would be particularly scary. If you think about a 
fish as just an example real quick to relate this to the idea of a fish being caught, right? Like for the most part, their, their life is being in the water, they're underwater, and then someone yanks them out of what they thought was reality into another reality altogether. And I think it'd have to be somewhat of a similar experience for a mouse who's kind of like, yeah, you know, they know heights and stuff like that, but to be suddenly yanked out of what they thought was reality into this far reaching space that they had never once imagined only to be devoured whole at that point, like that's gotta be pretty horrifying. At least the cat, you understand the cat, you know what the cat is. But with the owl, you might not even know what the hell is happening to you. You're like, oh, I just entered the fourth spatial dimension and now I'm being devoured in this warm, wet hell. <laughs> yeah. It's very Lovecraftian. I'm here for it. You can always get yourselves one of those cool little spiked vests that they have for like chihuahuas and small pets so that hawks and stuff can't pick them up. You would look real badass. That's true. Like as an intelligent mouse, would you wear something like that? Hell yeah. First thing I would do is make clothing. Come on. I can't be walking around with my mouse junk out. Even the non-intelligent mice in Secret of Men wore clothing, so. Truth. Although Mrs. Brisby wandered around without a cape an awful lot. Well, when you got the goods, you just want people to know. That's true. I mean, she's got those lashes working. It's amazing. <laughs> well, cool. Thanks for, uh, Thanks for your answers. Or, or unless, Matt, you had anything else to add to that. I was going to say, I think as a mouse, if you could like potentially find a good, safe home, like, uh, for example, just find a, a space with an older person that, you know, isn't very aware and just live out your life and have generations of mice children there and you know, nobody's uh, nobody's the wiser. You just get to eat whatever you want, make babies all day. <laughs> Could be a good life. That's the dream. Yeah, until someone cleans out your home later. Yeah, Ehrlich ruins everything. True. Well, obviously, if you have clicked on this, and from the conversation already, you know that we are covering 1982's The Secret of Nim. And uh, it is based originally on a book called Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, written by Robert C. O'Brien, who uh, wrote primarily science fiction novels, but uh, about half of them were children's novels, half of them were just more for all readers. It was illustrated by Zena Bernstein, who I couldn't really find too much about other than that. Uh, but then it was adapted into a film by Don Bluth, who had worked with Steven Spielberg on films like An American Tale and Land Before Time, but otherwise had produced on his own through various studios, things like All Dogs Go to Heaven and Anastasia. Uh, Don Bluth had originally worked for Disney, and he was part of a wave of Disney animators that were kind of disenchanted with Disney during the dark ages of their filmography. So they all left to kind of do their own thing independently, so that's where you get a lot of the folks that are working on The Secret of Nim are from, is uh, ex-Disney artists who are trying to forge their own path, which relates really well to our other episode on The Black Cauldron, where we talked a little bit about the Disney Dark Ages as well. But you've got the story in this by Don Bluth as well, as well as John Pomeroy and Gary Goldman, uh, who also produced, and then Will Finn, who was not necessarily a producer on the film, but again, all 
former Disney animators that followed Don Bluth as he left to kind of go on his own way. And then for the back of the box description of this, uh, get ready to meet some runaway rodents with an earth-shattering secret. Suspenseful and heartwarming, this beautifully animated Odyssey stars Mrs. Brisby, a mild-mannered mother mouse with a plan to move heaven and earth, or at least her house and home, to save her family from a former Fitz, from Farmer Fitzgibbon's plow. Along the way, she gets some help from a lovelorn crow, a busybody neighbor mouse, and a fearsome great owl. Unfortunately, Mrs. Brisby will need an engineering miracle to hoist her home, and for that she must face a mysterious rat, fend off a ferocious cat, and claim a magic amulet. But when Mrs. Brisby discovers the astounding secret of Nim, it could change her life forever. This timeless tale of love, courage, and determination will transport the whole family into an enchanting world where the bravest hearts live in the meekest of mice. Uh, so, spoiler warning from here on out. Hey, I did it. I'm often not good at that. But anyway, spoiler warning from here on out. Uh, so, anything in the film is fair game. So, be forewarned and go ahead, check out the movie before you listen to this if you are concerned about such things. So, uh, Don Bluth... He, as I said, had worked for Disney, but at the point that he was working for Disney, they were kind of cutting corners and things, and he wanted to do his, he wanted to go back to the more intensive and quality type of work that Disney was doing previously during, you know, things like Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, things of that era, instead of what they were working on at that time period where they were, you know, they're classics to people, but things like Robin Hood, where you can kind of see that the animation is cutting corners a little bit, copying things, and it's a little bit sketchy in the sense that uh, you can still see sketch lines and things like that. Not that it was creepy, although I don't know what was going on at Disney, so maybe it was sketchy, who knows? Uh, but just kind of give a couple things quote-wise for Don Blue's philosophy, and then also as far as he viewed this film. So he said about animation in general, what we in the animation world are doing is presenting symbols that are reflective of real life. If you show the dark moments, then you show the triumphant moments have more power. And if the animators don't understand that, I don't think they're animating. What they're doing is drawing. Ooh, sick burn. Very sick burn. And then uh, he... In an interview with Jim Brown on WKJG Fort Wayne, Indiana, back in the 80s when this film originally came out, he had a couple statements that kind of described how he saw this film. Uh, so the first quote from him from that interview is, With the secret of Nim, we're trying to tell a definite story that has a little bit of bite in it that does worry you. The story may scare you just a little bit. It may frighten quite a bit, you know, because it has scenes in it that could scare children. End quote. And then his next quote was, I think a film is a tremendous medium in which you can make a statement which will help the whole society, help the whole world. You know, because they do. They lift us up, they inspire, they fill us with hope, and they're like a leavening in the overall society, and we don't need pictures, movies that you go to that pull you down and make you feel bad and make you feel pessimistic and full of doom about the human race. I think you need pictures that make you feel hopeful. End quote. So I guess just the other thing to think about with that, at least that that I thought about a lot, is that so Don Bluth is 
a member of the LDS faith. And uh, all of us on this show are quite familiar with that. And I, w- I won't necessarily speak for anybody else, although I'm sure everyone else is probably more than comfortable, but, you know, no longer being a part of it. It's kind of interesting hearing him talk about that, some of those things, because I have a more pointed quote that he did in an interview with LDS Living that I think, I don't know, puts a shine on it that I'm not as big into. So I'll, I'll go ahead and read that too. But uh, I don't know. I don't like the philosophy presented in the next quote very well for a lot of reasons, but here we go. So the quote is, if people realized that everything they're going through when they sit in the dark and watch a movie, if they would say, what's this movie doing to me? Is it helping me or is it making me depressed? So the movie, it's the conflict of life. The movie is either satanic or it's godly. So which is it? And you can show villainy without being satanic, without being a satanic film. But some films, I know immediately the minute I turn them on and I start looking at it, I go, I don't want to watch this. I leave it alone. End quote. So the problem that I mostly, I guess, just have with that, I don't know, I'm presenting it just at the beginning of this, is I, I get the idea that whatever whatever you put into your head, whatever you're watching, whatever you're consuming, uh, you know, that's what's going through your mind. Those are the things you're experiencing. And so I get that there are things that can be uplifting to you and things that can be depressing. And you need to be mindful of that and what things will bother you and what things won't bother you. And that's fine. But I don't believe in this universality of the idea that it's either satanic or godly. I don't know. It puts this, I feel like, unfair dichotomy on things. And I know a lot of people would look at horror, the genre that we all love so well, and a lot of people with that mentality would look at it and say, oh, well, then if we're looking at it in that sense, then it must be satanic. So that's part of the thing that bugs me about that kind of mindset. So anyway, that's a lot of things. I guess I feel like I'll open the floor for comment, although I don't have specific questions on it, if anybody has anything they want to express about any of that. Oh, I hate it when directors bring religion into it. It's just so unnecessary. Like, dude, I just want to watch your movie. Yeah. The other thing that kind of bothers me, that does bother me about that quote, is it's like a very, like, judged by the cover of the book kind of attitude is like when he's talking about like i turn it on and i immediately know whether it's good or not it's like it's you're not looking at what what the content is really you're just judging by a knee-jerk reaction by standards that you haven't set for yourself someone else has set them for you right it's basically saying you should judge books by their cover yeah (laughs) yeah zero stars yeah, and I can appreciate that he wanted to make films that he thought would be beneficial to people to see. I can appreciate that. It's just the other moral judgment on other films that exist, as though if you're not doing it to the specifications that he has, that you've somehow missed the marker. It's wrong. So I I can respect what he wanted to do, but the judgment on other people's work, I can't. And also just like just because you know, movie X, ha- not not the actual movie X, but movie A, let's say, <laughs> um, has value for you doesn't mean it has the same value or hits the same notes for anybody else. So, like, it's another one of those, how can you just say this movie doesn't have any value or this one does just for yourself? I mean, maybe it does for yourself, that's fine, but you can't just say that for everybody. Which I think is always a hard thing for people to go with the idea, right, of 
saying that you don't like something isn't the same as saying something is bad, but a lot of people conflate the two. I don't like it, therefore it is bad, rather than just saying it wasn't for me. And that's a perfectly respectable thing to say. Like maybe it was good and you can see that, but you just didn't like it. If you can recognize that, I feel like it shows a lot of emotional maturity. But in any case, at least looking at the quotes that he was getting at in terms of this film and his kind of philosophy overall. Um, so obviously he looked at The Secret of Nim and he thought that it was somewhat frightening, could be frightening to kids, that there were moments like that. And that has been said of a lot of Don Bluth's work, things like The Lamb Before Time, uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Anastasia. Uh, I think you can look at most of his work and have people say that there's these dark moments in it. And I think that at least for his artistic view of what he was trying to accomplish, the idea that he put in one of those quotes there is the idea of contrast. Like, we're showing the dark so that it contrasts more with the light, so I think that that's generally a tone that he ends up hitting with a lot of his films. Uh, so at least as far as meta tags go for this film, uh, we have eight sites, eight streaming services and websites calling it animation. We have five calling it fantasy, five calling it adventure, uh, four calling it kids and family, two calling it action, one calling it children, one calling it drama, one calling it sci-fi, and then Roku had a category all about animals, so they marked it as that. Another thing I guess worth mentioning is that Prime, Amazon Prime, has these kind of subcategory descriptors. They're not necessarily a genre, but they're describing at least in a couple words what they felt the film is like, what you should expect from it. And so they list this film as dreamlike and inspiring. Um, it was rated G when it first came out, so as far as ratings go, there were no October bumps for this in either Wikipedia or Google searches, so people aren't seeking it out more prominently during that season. Uh, I did see that Google on autocomplete, if you just type, is the secret of NIM, scary is one of the main ones that comes up as a suggestion for what people are searching for this film with. And then looking at the book itself that it was based on, 47% uh, of four, a little over 4,000 readers at goodreads.com called it fantasy, 19% called it classics, 15% called it animals, 13% called it sci-fi, 6% called it adventure. And once again, Goodreads basically allows readers to put whatever tag they like as a descriptor for a book, so it's kind of a crowdsourced genre specification. So the majority of people seeing it as fantasy, uh, no meta tags for horror, no descriptions for the book for horror. So, Secret of Nim, is it horror? Where does everyone stand? Well, it's a little dark, but this is definitely not horror at all. I think it's definitely more fantasy is what I would call it. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, not horror. I'd call it, you know, like children's dark fantasy if I had to if I had to pull a fine point on it, I guess. Yeah, I would say it's fantasy, not horror. Same for me. I maybe I could go dark fantasy, but even that maybe seems a little bit much in my book, I guess. But not horror, not children's horror. Not for this one. All right, well then, I guess the first thing I wanted to take a look at is a lot of people, when they think of this film, they think of the time that they watched it as children and feeling that it was scary. 
And in fact, even uh, Don Bluth, he talked about his financial backers on The Secret of Nim. They were worried that it might be too scary and that that was something he had to combat while making the film. So first off, did you find any moments in the film scary? And then I guess the second question, I don't know if you've watched it as a child, if you watched it while you were growing up, let us know and let us know if you found it scary then. So I do remember watching this as a child, but I didn't remember a lot of the storyline. I do, however, remember that this movie scared me. It was like one of those things where I remembered like the Black Cauldron was scary to me. And then I watched it as an adult. And with the Black Cauldron, I was like, oh, it's not that bad. It's kind of silly and hokey. I don't know. This one did kind of make me uneasy. I guess it's because they were dealing with such dark themes in it and it was pretty intense and like they kept the pace up. Like I felt like the movie had stakes, but it was more, I don't know, suspenseful than scary. For me, uh, so this was my pick as far as a movie to talk about. Uh, just because I watched it a lot as a kid and I remembered, it's been years and years and years since I'd seen it. Um, but as a kid, I remembered it being scary and like, uh, I don't know. I, I think one of the things about this for me, especially as a kid, was like what you said, Brianna, is like it uh, has stakes. And for me, it felt like there wasn't really there's not a lot of moments in the movie that weren't like kind of having their foot on the gas a little bit like everything. Almost everything in the movie is at least a little bit scary. And um at least I remember feeling that way and watching it again as an adult, I can kind of, I can see my childhood mindset on that too. And it does have a lot of dark themes and, you know, characters do die and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I think it can be scary. What I thought was the scariest was probably some of the just character design, like the owl and, um, I don't remember what the the one the wizard guy from the beginning what his name was. Nicodemus. Um, Nick, I thought it was Nicodemus. Yeah. So I think just the the way that both of those characters were animated, they kind of came off a little bit scary. I also thought the explanation of um, like the animals having horrible tests done on them and things like that, the kind of explanation of the lab. Uh, sort of put you in the shoes of the of the characters and why that was scary for them so i feel like uh as a kid i might have seen those moments as being scary so i don't remember ever watching this as a kid i felt like don bluth's films didn't have a real big presence in our house growing up other than the land before time but it sounded like when i talked to you matt kind of earlier about all of this that you'd seen a, a few more of his films right like anastasia you had seen and uh and um my goodness a few other of his films right yeah i'd seen uh anastasia and um and the well i didn't see this but i saw anastasia and i also saw land before time that was one that i watched all the time um and then I, I don't think he directed those, but the American Tale ones also. I believe he did, but I can double check that real quick. I know we okay. did watch those ones growing up to the American Tale ones just because um, 
just the whole European immigrant thing, obviously it's stemming from sort of almost an, a biographical place for uh, Steven Spielberg's family. But then our dad immigrating here from Europe too kind of hit a little bit closer to home. So I think it was a little bit more of a fixture in our household, that particular one. And yes, he yeah. did direct that one. Yeah, the he first directed one. both of those. Well, the first one, yeah. And then Matt, I guess you kind of said what you thought some of the scariest parts were, but I wanted to see what did, what did the rest of you guys feel like the scariest parts of the film were for you growing up or, or now? Well, I remember the owl terrifying me and Nicodemus kind of scared the crap out of me too, just because they sort of had the spooky aesthetic. Um, I th- I think as an adult watching it, the most intense parts were probably when the house was sinking because you thought everything was okay. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh no, everybody's going to die in the mud. I don't know. I think that was probably it for me. Yeah, I, that was a moment for me for sure. Like, I don't know. It, it ends up having sort of like that, the, the amulet's magic and that gets him out of it. But before you really know what the amulet's about, like you don't, I didn't see any way out of that. <laughs> you know, either you're just watching her children die. Um, and that would have been very dark for a kid's movie. But, uh, but yeah, there was that moment. And, and like I'd kind of mentioned before, I feel like there's a lot of scary things happening throughout the movie. Like, you know, when they first confront Dragon, the cat, uh, that's pretty intense. Uh, and the, the cat's just like, has super cat strength and breaking through logs and boards and things. And that, that's pretty frightening. Um, and, and just the aesthetic, a lot of things like they're like scary things, but when you stop and think about them, like, you know, like the owl, for example, he, he's scary and what the setting is scary, but you know, he never actually means Mrs. Brisby any harm. Um, so, but I do remember that, that whole sequence scaring me as a child. Um, I don't know. I think those are probably, I guess the highlights. Oh, another one. I remember like a very, I, I feel like a tense moment is when she's trapped in the birdcage and she's trying to get out and like, you know, having to be underwater and trying to push the thing out. Like it felt like that was a tense moment. Um, but I think those were probably my moments. Maybe when Jenner's trying to get her, too, I guess. That's kind of creepy. Jenner's uh, creepy goatee was my biggest problem. Like, why do the villains always have that scraggly-ass goatee hanging off their chin? It's just, it's a red flag. You know, it's kind of funny, too, because I saw an interview with Don Bluth more recently where people were talking about his villains always have uh, really prominent graphic teeth. Which hadn't necessarily been the thing that rang true for me, but, you know, Jenner's got that evil smile full of pointy teeth. So there's that, too, about the character design. I hadn't ever thought about that. Nasty, pointy teeth. Yeah, I guess, like, you get, like, Rasputin in Anastasia, and he's definitely like that. Oh, yeah, he was a really good villain. Rasputin was, he was creepy and gross. Oh. I love Anastasia. Now I just want to go back and watch all these movies. It's a really good movie. I really like Anastasia. (laughs) Bartok steals the entire show. Oh, yeah. Bartok's great. Gets really crazy with the hips. It's another uh, mouse slash rat movie is uh, The Great Mouse Detective and Radigan 
has these mm. very sharp, pointy teeth also. It was giving me big Radigan vibes. Well, maybe inspired by this, certainly possible. There were just a lot of films about mice at that time. <laughs> yeah, The Rescuers. I was going to say, it's just part of why Disney didn't do this movie, because uh, they had pitched the idea to them, but they felt like they'd done too many mouse movies, rat movies lately, so they ended up passing on it. Um, I guess, so for me at least looking at it, I think the part that stands out most is the scariest if I was, I don't know, at least in terms of thinking about it as a kid, if I was watching it, what would be most affected, affecting the great owl sequence would definitely be at the top of the list for me. I feel like the ending ends up being a little bit more just kind of like swashbuckling adventure to a degree. Yes, the kids are at risk, but I think it's a different kind of tone. And then her initial trying to get down to meet the rats when she gets attacked by the guard. I think that has kind of a spooky vibe and just even traveling there with all the, the thorns that are made so prominent and uh, just that general vibe and the sort of, I understand we're dealing with mice and rats, but still anthropomorphized. But even when she first encounters the guard, the way that he's animated makes him even less human until he knows that she's okay, you know? Yeah, he's he's he is very creepy and I wondered about that like do you do you think he was trying to kill her or do you think he was just like trying to intimidate her and chase her off? Oh no, he was for sure trying to kill her. It's kind of weird because that's not really a thing that had happened in the book. And I'll get into that later. I ended up reading the book just cuz I didn't have any context for this previously and I was kind of curious what happened there. So, uh, but yeah, it doesn't that part doesn't happen like that in the book. Like he sends her away, but it's more, it's more guard at the door wizard of Oz than it is what happens in the animated film here. It's just turn them away, not attacking. And Joe, you had mentioned, you felt like there was kind of a, a creepier, a scary vibe to most parts of the films. I wanted to see, did everybody else feel like that was the case too? Or did you feel like it was mostly isolated to certain sequences? Or is there a whole vibe throughout the film? I think there's a vibe of impending doom throughout the whole film. I think the art style is pretty dark and kind of, I don't know if it's spooky, but it's like... I guess I don't know how to describe it. Just overall, it was just a dark art theme to the whole thing. I guess for me, I kind of felt like it was more isolated to certain parts personally. Maybe I'd have to rewatch it and I'd feel differently, but I felt like there's plenty of parts that were a little more happy-go-lucky, <laughs> which I, maybe that's a weird thing to say, but I, I don't know. And Joe, by all means, feel free to comment more if you had more thoughts on it. I don't mean to like run over your thoughts on it but just since you brought it up i thought i'd see what everyone else weighed in yeah no uh no problem i i uh i i don't know i f f at least for my memory as a child watching it i just remembered feeling like it there are those moments like you get jeremy as kind of comic relief and some moments with the kids and things like that but i i felt like you're kind of jumping from tense situation to tense situation with an overall, like you said, Brianna, like a overall 
underlying impending doom sort of thing is like she's she's sort of racing the clock to try and save her family but then having to deal with the dragon having to deal um with the owl having to you know go and meet brutus but then also just like again it's not like a scary thing but even like when she's in the like home of the rats like you can tell that she's scared about that and she feels um you know tense about even being there and just uh you know i i feel like for her like almost everything she's going through is scary for her and i guess i remember i guess just maybe dialing into that fear at least as a kid which i guess this is a little bit jumping around on the outline but to get into that point in terms of tension for the hero, we've talked about before how our main character's reaction in a film to the things they're experiencing informs how the audience should react. So was Mrs. Brisby being afraid for most of the film for her life, for her children's lives? Did that impact how the rest of you saw it and your classification? Why wasn't that enough to bring it to horror? It was just so very family friendly, even though it it was pretty dark. I I don't know. This is one of those things where I know how I feel about it, but I can't explain it. <laughs> so maybe someone else should go and explain it, and I'll be like, "Yeah, I agree." I guess I've mostly already said my piece on it, but yeah, like especially as a as a kid for me, um, you know, she's just like. You know, almost every encounter, she's scared, she's stuttering, she's shaking. Like, you know, I think the one of the points of this movie is she she still does the things she needs to do. And it's, you know, that courage of the heart that they, you know, are talking about. But, like, she's, I can feel her fear through nearly the entire film. Like, the only moments she's not really afraid, I feel like, are, like, the few moments that she's, like, just with her kids or, you know, just hanging out with Jeremy. But even some of those moments are like the cat's coming. So you have to be afraid for that, too. And like there are even those quiet moments when like after the encounter with Dragon where she's just like, oh, I I lost the life saving medicine for my kid. And like th- I I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I I don't know. I guess all that for me, like. I, I don't know. I I felt like definitely her reactions were telling me how to feel about it. And that is what helped or what made me feel like this movie was scary. Um, I don't know what childhood me would have said about whether it was horror or not, but definitely a scary film. But I just like you said, as far as like, it's just a little too like family friendly, very hopeful and happy at the end. Uh, and everything works out and that doesn't necessarily make it not horror but it just didn't add up to that for me it's hard to give sort of that explanation because i never saw this as a child but comparing it to other movies that i was maybe scared of when i was young like the page master i can think for one was one that had some scary moments for me as a kid um I feel like the scary moments in that were more like directly horror, like had horror themes about death and scary things like monsters and that 
And I, I, I don't know if I felt any of that while watching this movie. Uh, I, that definitely isn't horror. Page Master wasn't horror, and this definitely isn't horror. But it's it's hard to pinpoint exactly why. I guess maybe it's just the tone overall of this being sort of like a Lord of the Rings kind of feel more than it is like a horror feel. Um, yeah, sorry, it's kind of rambling, but yeah, it just doesn't doesn't give off the horror tone to me. I think one other point for me was like, especially as an adult watching this, you kind of watch it and like the scary things happen. And, but, but then when you think about them, most of them are just kind of like, nothing's necessarily malevolent. Like the farmer plow coming is like, he's not out to get the mice. He's just doing his job. And same thing with the cat. The cat's just being a cat and the owl is, scary but he's not even being an owl like an owl would just eat the mouse but it's being a lot kinder um so those there's like this scary overtone but the actual what's going on isn't really like very very little about this movie is malevolent the only thing i could really think of is maybe jenner's intentions but um but those mostly aren't even directed towards her, um, towards Mrs. Brisby. So I think that contributes to it a lot for me. Well, that was one of the things I was going to ask about, I guess just maybe to put a little bit more of a point on some of that. The main problem of the film, as we've already talked about, is Miss Brisby's, Mrs. Brisby's children, specifically Timmy. They're just trying to keep them safe and healthy. And like you said, the Fitzgibbons are farmers. They just need to plow their field. They have no idea of Miss Brisby or her children's plight. Uh, they're just working. So does that sort of set a tone for the film as well? That the central problem to overcome, like you said, isn't malevolent at all. It's just two opposing groups that one of them just doesn't understand the other person's need. Yeah, the situation there gives you more of a sense of, well, that's the way life is. Like, it's this looming, unfortunate thing that, like, it just is, you know. Yeah, it's not somebody who's out to get you. It's just life's hard. Yeah, and I, I think from the outline, we're going to talk about this in a second. But it also feels like even the the rat, is, Jenner is the other the rat that's the antagonist, right? Yes. It, it even feels like he's just operating from kind of a different point of view of what's the right thing to be doing. So, I don't know. In that aspect, like, everybody in the film doesn't really feel necessarily evil, if that makes sense. Yeah, would you guys even say that there is a central antagonist to overcome in this film? Like, is it Jenner? Is he the main villain? Villain? Is it Nim? Is it the humans? Is it Dragon the Cats? Or is there really not a central antagonist? It's like the sixth season of Buffy. The the big bad is just life. I think Jenner and Nim are probably the evil forces, if there are any. Yeah, and I mean, I haven't read the book, but Steve, I'm sure you could fill in the gaps on this a little bit more. But I feel like this movie maybe speaks to Don Bluth's 
um, proclivity to like look at things in black and white. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, it sounds like from the book, at least like, you know, Jenner's, Jenner's not being evil at all. He's just has a different outlook, a different perspective. Uh, and in the, in the movie, he's definitely portrayed as being evil and he wants to kill Nicodemus and take over and all this stuff. But, uh, but I think in different hands, it would have just looked like to, would have looked more like a debate rather than good good versus evil. And that's definitely the case in the book. Uh, Nicodemus is not, so there isn't anything supernatural presented in the book. Uh, as as kind of said earlier, it's more of a science fiction book of the idea of almost like presenting to children the idea of like, well, okay, so let's figure out a way to make these rats intelligent. And now let's just kind of think and theorize on what it would be like for a new intelligent society to emerge on earth and try and figure out its own path and figure out its own way. And when there is a rift between Nicodemus and Jenner, or at least them representing their different groups, it's more a philosophical debate over how to build a society. So on Nicodemus's side, they're saying we should scrap everything, not use any human technology, any human means, and we should start our own society from scratch. And that's the more higher moral value. And then for Jenner, his idea was like, if we have these tools available to us, I don't think it's wrong for us to use them to help us to move forward because it puts us ahead of the game instead of having to start from square one. And their rift happens before the story even starts and you don't actually see Jenner. And it's not a violent fight. It's just, you know, a faction splits off, they leave, they go do their own thing. And you only have some indication later that they're out there existing on their own the book maybe does give a little bit of a moral idea on whether or not it agrees with their particular perspective on it. But again, it's not a violent antagonistic thing. It's just a philosophical disagreement. And then they go their separate ways amiably. One interesting thing, like hearing you talk about that and uh, just thinking about it a little bit is I see the value in the like Nicodemus's, uh, I guess, and his factions kind of look out, look on things as like we shouldn't be stealing technology. But then the other, there's another part of me that's like sees it from Jenner's perspective, especially given that like humans are the ones who did these tests on people. And so from Jenner's perspective, like why wouldn't we use some human technology and like take back a little bit? Cause like, I don't know, the humans did this to us. Uh, so I can see that, and I I appreciate the more kind of gray tones that that philosophy that those opposing philosophies could have that I think would be maybe a little more interesting. So yeah, I I definitely I agree. I, I appreciated that side of it, and I appreciated that being sort of presenting presented to kids in a children's book. I guess in terms of this film, then looking at Don Bluth trying to add more suspense, add a little bit more action to it, so he kind of turns Jenner into more of an antagonist and less of a philosophical difference. But I guess overall, uh, if you don't feel... I, I guess we all kind of said we were at, but necessarily put a real fine point on it. But if you didn't feel like there was necessarily a central villain that was felt through all the whole film, did that keep it from ever getting to a horror tone just because there wasn't necessarily a primary 
ever-present antagonist. I'm sorry, say that again? I really meandered, so I'm going to have to... <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> I have the attention span of a magpie. Be gentle. No, it's cool. I All right, to, to pare it down again, it's just if you don't feel like there was a central threat in the film ever-present to overcome... Is that part of what maybe kept it from feeling like horror? I think so. I think that for me, there needs to be a, a definitive villain or something or or malignant, maleficent, awful force that you have to go up against. And there were so many different variables in this movie, and it was all very real life. Like it was, well, you know, except for the magic part. Um, there were just some everyday struggles that I think got presented as things that they need to overcome. And yeah, for me, it was not harder because of that. I think you hit the nail on the head with comparing it to season six of Buffy, where the big bad is just life uh, and it's more realistic. But yeah, I think that definitely contributed to my feeling of or decision to not classify it as horror just because, yeah, there wasn't an actual an actual bad guy. Yeah, I think you're more the thing that you're most worried about is that mrs brisby's kid is going to be hurt or die or any of her kids throughout the whole film and while some of the antagonists sort of take part in that there it's sort of unknowingly or not meaning to um or not directly so that's kind of yeah, it definitely takes away from it being horror. And then why don't you look at the tone of the film overall? I know Don Bluth wanted to make something that, as he said before in the quote that we shared, in his own words was hopeful and inspiring. And clearly Amazon agreed because inspiring was at least one of the ways they choose to describe the film. So I, um, however, you know, horror isn't normally a genre people would describe as hopeful and inspiring. So I wanted to see, first off, in general, do you think that horror movies can be hopeful and inspiring? Is that something compatible with the genre? In general, I feel like the answer is no, but there's always exceptions. But I don't think that I like my horror to be hopeful. That's just me. So I was just thinking about this. Um, I recently watched uh, Saw X, and I feel like that movie kind of has a little bit of a like a hopeful and inspiring tone, at least to the ending of it, and maybe several of the other Saw movies, depending. I haven't seen all the Saw movies, but I feel like there's a general tone of that Jigsaw is trying to teach a lesson on morality and sometimes that results in a more inspiring ending to the movies or not <laughs> i mean after uh spoiler alert for the Saul series i guess i won't go into the details of it but he's only a main character in the first three films after that it kind of goes off the rails in terms of that but i can see what you're saying that in theory, despite his methodology that we can debate the hell out of, uh, yeah, his goal is to help people, in theory. And I mean, another spo a big spoiler for Saw X is, you know, they're essentially 
walking off into the sunset with a small child and that's going to now be rich. Like, it's a happy ending. <laughs> I think, I guess for, for my answer for the question, I was just thinking about, I don't, I don't think of horror generally as hopeful and inspiring. Uh, but I don't know. I think some of maybe some of my more favorite horror movies. I'm, I'm I don't have specific examples right off the top of my head, but I will be thinking about it. But like I feel like the ones that I do like have uh, or the ones that I like the most, I should say, uh, do have a point to them, and it does have sort of that um, the feeling that you actually that I actually get from this movie is where you've got Mrs. Brisby and she's scared of everything that's happening in the movie but she still does what she needs to do to try and protect her family despite being scared you know courage isn't the absence of fear it's doing what you need to do despite it um so i think that 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 sort of theme can be present in horror movies uh and it can be inspiring and it can be hopeful uh and so i don't think they're necessarily mutually exclusive just not necessarily thought of together (laughs) A lot of times, at least. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. Like, I think that you can have a horror movie that feels hopeful, and your mileage may vary on what you would consider hopeful or not, right? Or inspiring or not. Um, I guess it's trying to think, at least for myself, of examples of films that I would say are both horror and feel hopeful or maybe at least heartwarming. And I know maybe this will be a weird choice for anyone that has seen it, but I kind of get that vibe, honestly, for me anyway, with the black phone, which I know it's dour. There's children that are killed throughout, but at the end, like that relationship between the brother and sister and just how things end up for them. I feel like, I feel like there is hope like there, I don't know. So I walk away feeling like I'm getting some hopeful vibes out of that. So I think it's possible. I just think it's, it's tough to do. And a lot of people don't try. But if anybody else has any other examples of maybe hopeful horror movies, I mean, Brianna, you said you don't necessarily look for that in horror, but are there ones that, is there any time you watched a horror movie where it was too hopeful and you're like, nope, pass, because there was too much hope? I don't know. I See, I'm, I'm going to walk back my statement because as I'm thinking about it, pretty much any horror comedy will often end on a hopeful note. So, oh... I don't know. You're going to have to circle back to me next episode. It's going to take me a while to decide. The more I think about it, there are a lot of horror movies that end on a hopeful note. Um, There are. Because like, I'm, I'm thinking about like 28 days later, I'm thinking about there's, there's a lot of films that kind of have maybe not a happy ending because of everything that the characters have gone through. But I feel like a lot of horror movies will, offer some kind of hope because when you're having that theater movie experience there's not a lot of movies where everything is just negative the whole time and ever and the movie ends negative if it was like that then i don't i think you'd have a hard time connecting with any of the human characters so i don't know i do, I do feel like there's a lot of horror that has some bit of hope to it so as far as the secret of Nim goes, would you say that you feel like it was, was it too hopeful to be horror as part of that, that contrast 
um, or did you feel it was hopeful and inspiring at all? I think it was hopeful and inspiring. Yeah, I I think it definitely was hopeful and inspiring, but I don't think it was so much so that it put it outside the feeling of a horror movie. I again don't think it's horror, but like you kind of you get some of those like hints about what the like kind of hope and inspiration throughout the movie and but you mostly only get that at the end and that's like you have that whole lead up to like the house sinking into the swamp and and uh that kind of being the the climax of the terror uh but uh but then you know she's able to pull the house out uh anyways i don't think that the like um the graph of the tension <laughs> is outside um outside of the horror uh realm or that that it has the same kind of um path i guess uh sorry i'm kind of ending ending up rambling on a little bit but i guess the answer to the question is yes i felt like it was hopeful and inspiring no that didn't take away from the scary horror um classification for me i think what maybe did take away from the horror classification was which people have mentioned before is just that a lot of the film had a pretty light-hearted tone to it and more so it had more of a light-hearted and wholesome tone a lot of times than the tone of like wanting to actively be instilling fear because we've talked about how the formula for horror is kind of like building that tension to a climax then letting people rest then rebuilding the tension to a climax the horror tension uh but i feel like the woes in that kind of tension peak and valley with this film are more lighthearted and warm and that's what i think takes away from it being horror more so than the hopeful and inspiring feelings that happen. Do you feel like this film, because Don Bluth talked about this film having more bites and he's talked a bit about using that kind of expression for his other films wanting to have more bite in it. Do you feel like this film and potentially Bluth's other work has more of an edge to it than Disney movies do? Absolutely. The stakes are higher. Um, it's a little grittier and there's blood. I I think I'm trying to think of a Disney movie where they showed blood. I think they showed it in Sleeping Beauty when they stabbed the dragon, but that's the only one that comes to mind yes. right now. There's some in Milan. There's some in The Lion King, but it's kind of a blink and you'll miss it thing. I actually spent a fair amount of time searching through Disney movies that also had blood in it. <laughs> so it, it's it exists. It's not a real common occurrence, but it exists. I think uh, for me, I, I do think Don Bluth's stuff has a bit more bite to it uh, than a lot of Disney stuff or at least the contemporary Disney stuff. Um, well, and maybe current Disney stuff. Anyways, uh, I, I don't know, just a lot of the animation style, a lot of just the kind of willingness to maybe dip a little deeper. I, you know, I think of Anastasia and Rasputin and like the the demons he summons and like his body's falling apart and uh you know you get like these big glowy green demons flying around and um i i feel like that's 
it's not Disney. It's not that Disney hasn't gone there before. I think of like Night on Bald Mountain, for example, in Fantasia. That feels very similar to what happens in Anastasia. But uh, uh, and then you get like um, uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven, where you know the, he like goes to hell, and like that's it's pretty oh, pretty yeah, dark. The for... Creepy Hades cruise. That was oh, that yeah. was creepy. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty I feel sure like, that scared the shit out of me as a kid. Yeah, it absolutely did for me. I I remember being just really scared of that part. But you know, I do feel like I do feel like Don Blue stuff is maybe a little more willing to go a little deeper on that type of thing. And there's definitely numerous accounts throughout his work of basic various producers and collaborators trying to rein him back in on some of that stuff too, which I always think is kind of interesting. It seems like uh, he has death or the aftermath of death, like characters dealing with death as a central theme to a lot of the films, at least a lot of the ones that I've seen uh, a little bit more than what Disney does. Uh, and there's certainly Disney movies where there's death and people dealing with death, but I feel like his are a little bit more raw in how they deal with it. Um, example being like Land Before Time and basically Littlefoot going through the grieving process throughout the entirety of the movie. And um, this movie with Mrs. Brisby dealing with the death of her husband. Um, I'm sure there's other examples. Well, how do you but... think that compares to something though, like Lion King, where you've got Simba dealing with the death of his father and even witnessing it throughout that film? Well, I think that is definitely a, a film that deals with death because Simba's going through that whole grieving process throughout the whole movie, but then also you have something like Timon and Pumbaa and Hakuna Matata that I don't think would show up as much in a Don Bluth film. So maybe you guys will have to remind me. I, one of the things that maybe is feels a little different to me if we are comparing Lion King to Land Before Time and, you know, the child watching a parent die. Um, I feel... I, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I don't remember for 100%. But like in Lion King, uh, you know, Mufasa falls into the stampede and then he's just dead after that. And then in Land Before Time, I feel like you you get Littlefoot like going and like his mom's dying and like they actually talk and he like actually has to like be right next to her and watch her like die basically if I remember that. And I guess if that's true, and please, again, correct me if I'm wrong on that, that's just an example of, like, Don Bluth being able to dip a little deeper. It's the same concept, but he goes a little further with it. I think that you're right, because I definitely... So I did watch the death scene of Mufasa, and Simba does find him when he's already dead at that point, as far as the way that that plays out. And then while I didn't watch the death of Littlefoot's mother in in The Lamb Before Time... Uh, there were some quotes where Don Bluth was talking about her last words to him, which at least that made me think at the time that he found her and she was able to 
say some final words to him before dying. I, I don't remember that movie well enough to describe a specific scene, but at least from the interview that I saw, it sounded like, yes, you're right, that they had a conversation as she was dying as well. And then the other thing that's interesting about The Land Before Time, so that one was a Steven Spielberg-produced film, and uh, he had Don Bluth had talked about how he had made some darker sequences in the film that he was basically being told was too frightening and had to dial back that were famously cut from the film and that he's always gone on record as maybe being a little bit disappointed that Steven Spielberg, like, you know, he, he does the film for Spielberg and he provides those scenes. They think they're too dark. Spielberg got rid of them. So to this day, you have people even, even just in the past year seeing Don Bluth and asking if he happens to know where the darker cut, those extra sequences, release the Bluth cut, if you will, of The Land Before Time. And so still people looking for those extra sequences that were even darker still that weren't included. And then I guess just one other thought as far as tone goes for this. I do find it interesting. So he's, he again talked about, Don Bluth talked about in the quote, I'm saying his name a ton, but anyway, he talked about in the quote, uh, earlier, the idea that we don't need movies that make us feel doom or feel dread, but we see these darker moments in these films, and we do say, yes, that this film, particularly The Secret of Nim, has a hopeful quality, but is there also a sense of feeling of doom and dread, since that's a lot of what people, they're taking forward with themselves. They don't remember the movie, they just remember being scared as a kid, so doesn't that mean that you took doom and dread away from the film even if now watching the whole thing through as an adult you would say that there's hope as well oh yeah absolutely as a kid it was all doom and gloom like it was i was genuinely afraid yeah i remember feeling that too and i don't know it's sort of a weird thing because like before watching it again as an adult, like I could remember my feelings about it and just remembering that it scared me remembering that it felt like a very heavy movie. And I still, I think those are all valid things. Um, but, uh, I think the thing is like, I didn't necessarily remember a lot of the, the inspiration and hope of it. Uh, but it was maybe still like there in the subconscious. Cause like, I think this is true for several of these um, Don Bluth type movies uh, where like I remembered it scaring the crap out of me as a kid, but I still liked them. And like I, I still like they're still like some of my most memorable, like favorite childhood movies. Uh, so like so it's sort of like it scared me, but it's still like maybe inspired me. Uh, so even if I didn't remember exactly why <laughs> as a kid and, but I remember taking those feelings, um, you know, from those movies throughout my life. Um, and, uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess maybe that's sort of the point of this movie and going back to the idea of life being scary, but you still go through it. And, you know, that back to the Buffy thing, you know, the hardest part of life is living it basically. So I don't know. I think I maybe I'm not answering the question exactly how you wanted it to be, but, but yeah, I guess those are my thoughts on it. My point is always to have a prompt and see what you guys think. So I saw what you thought. So that's good. <laughs> cool. <laughs> So I do think that this film does end up dealing at least with maybe 
with a couple topics a little bit that are that are perceived as darker. And we've talked a little bit already. And if anyone has more that they want to say about it, of course they can. But we're dealing with the potential loss of of children here. So Miss Brisby, her son Timmy is very sick, and it's uncertain as to whether or not he'll recover. And then the more dramatic potential death of her children from both the plow or from drowning later. So I guess just the fact that this movie in general is dealing with her, the loss of the potential loss of her children and hinting at also the loss of her husband, although that's maybe not as actively deal dealt with. So is that idea that it's just dealing with loss from just normal death as part of life, maybe one part of what gives this film a darker tone. Yeah. It's a little too real sometimes, even though it's animated. I did when the when their home was sinking in that section. I guess I didn't a hundred percent think that the kids were were gone there, but I was worried about them like for real. Like I thought it was a possibility that that could be it for them in that moment. So I I think um, yeah the the stakes were pretty high for me there, and then then. And that whole scene is very tense. Like, there's just a lot happening. And my mind in horror is trained that when I see people getting, like, your main characters getting steadily more damaged and in worse situations, I'm immediately thinking, okay, maybe somebody's actually going to die here. So I kind of had that feeling in that moment. Out of curiosity, did you end up watching this with your kids, or are they getting to the point where maybe this is a little too young for them? I didn't watch it with them because they weren't with me this week, so I probably would have otherwise, but yeah. I guess another dark subject matter that gets brought up in this is the idea of animal testing as a whole, since the whole title, The Secret of Nim, the secret is that these rats were abused and that they were hurt and they were experimented on. So does the fact that that exists within the film and the way it's portrayed add a darker tone to it? And uh, if it does, why didn't that approach horror for you exactly? Um, it, it did affect me. Like, I think that might've been the worst part of the movie is finding out that like, you know, these are not mystical powers. These animals were experimented on and like put through really awful things. And I, again, I think that it doesn't reach over into horror because, you know, there was no mad scientist that we saw that they had to escape from or anything like that. Um, you know, animal testing sucks. Don't support products that do that. (laughs) It's just too real. Yeah, that was that was definitely a scary part, especially how they portrayed it. And like, you know, the rats getting the injections and then sort of like being physically in pain and going through these sort of like psychedelic those I don't know, those sequences of like, I don't know, I I don't know exactly they they um, instill a feeling, but I can't really put very good words to it, I guess. It was just like, you know, the spirally um optics of going and looking at the dna being changed and things like that um i i felt like that that was very like 
I don't know, a raw, I guess that you could almost feel what the rats are feeling. Um, so I, I do think that was a, if that was maybe one of the things that, that did approach horror, but I think like you said, Brianna, just because like, there's not a central, like NIMS just sort of this, it's too big to think about on an individual level. Like it's an institution. It's not, there's not a, there's not a, a mad scientist, like you said, there's not a singular bad guy to it. It's just sort of the overall general evil of man kind of thing. Um, so, uh, I think that's why I maybe didn't end up feeling like it was horror for that reason. Yeah, it, it did it give you a feeling, but it wasn't a horror feeling. It was more of a sadness that animals are being experimented on. Um, like I think Brianna said that just felt like a, felt like a, a real, it was too real to feel like horror. It still feels, it feels bad, but it doesn't feel bad because it's horror. And I, I think that's one of the things that's a little bit strange about both watching this movie and reading the book is that the National Institute of Mental Health really did do in real life experiments on mouse and rat populations, particularly one experiment being just seeing how they reacted to overpopulation in a closed system to try and see, based on their reactions, what sort of things they could expect from human reactions. So they would, in this particular experiment, and I know that there were others, this is just the one that I'm familiar with as an example, that they put too many rats in an area enclosed to see how they would react to the situation. And uh, they, you know, would result to fighting. They would result to cannibalism. Uh, they would kind of faction off. And when the experiment was over, the rats all involved in the experiment were psychologically scarred enough that they couldn't live in a normal situation with rats that hadn't endured that basically going through, you know, rat PTSD. So I don't know. It's kind of weird. I just seeing that there's this novel that exists of it and this children's movie that exists of it that paints sort of a positive outcome for the rats involved with the experiment, allowing them to establish their own society and things like that. But knowing that, yeah, there were some experiments that I'm not comfortable with, although I'm not prepared to make like a full moral statement about that specific one because I don't know all the details. But certainly like we can all agree things like, say, vivisection and things like that sort of animal experimentation or there's things that I'm not okay with for certain. And then seeing this movie kind of portray it like you said it brings up feelings not horror feelings just feelings about our society as a whole like if we have to do this in order to survive like what is that what is the value in that and then i guess just looking as well at the film we already touched on this a little bit but i guess on the whole i think everybody seemed to agree you feel like this film had a little bit more gore in it at least than you're used to seeing in an animated family feature absolutely Stakes were way higher in this film than I think they were, were than they were in the other animated films that we've covered. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I've, you know, I haven't put a comparison to it, but I I feel like you know if if somebody gets stabbed, you see the blood. If somebody gets slashed with a wire while they're trying to get out from under this, the water or whatever, you see the blood. Um, 
So I I do think there was more than others. Yeah, I mean, you see a knife get thrown into a dude's back, well, into a rat's back. I don't, I can't think of a Disney movie in particular where you actually see a knife going into somebody and them dying. But they're probably, I don't know, maybe there is one, but I can't think of one. I don't have one immediately that comes to mind. I mean, you see a, the sword, as mentioned earlier, going into Maleficent in her dragon form in Sleeping Beauty, but the dragon form of her is so devoid of humanity at that point, it's easy to forget that it's a person. You do see, for instance, uh, you know, people being shot at and things in like um, in Pocahontas, and uh, you do see people you do see the one villain in tarzan be hung although it's in silhouette so i I don't know so there are darker moments but i would say on the whole there's more maybe a little more portrayed gore in this at least than you saw in disney films from the era and i do think that this had a big influence on what disney ended up doing with themselves after this point um you know because we have a few years later we've got the black cauldron but they had been working on that for about i want to say five or six years now i don't remember the exact time period but they were working on it before don bluth started working on this film but then you see the like disney renaissance that takes place with the little mermaid going forward and you do end up having i feel like a little bit of darker tone again in some of those films because i mean we talked about before you've got some dark concepts in the little mermaid with Ursula and she's getting stabbed by the mast of a ship. Uh, Scar is going to be eaten by the hyenas who are real sinister before deciding that, yeah, they're going to go ahead and eat him. Um, I mean, so there's, there's some darker moments. The beast, you think he's getting killed. I think he gets stabbed in the back during that fight sequence at the end with Gaston. Oh, you're right. And you do see that. And there is blood there too. Yeah, and and this movie, you, it's a knife going into a rat, so it's basically on the same level. <laughs> so I, I think maybe this inspired what came after. I wouldn't say that the tone overall of those films is necessarily as dark here, but I feel like they were definitely influenced by it. Like they saw that that stuff could could work, that there was still a market for it. And then I guess the other thing I wanted to touch on a little bit too is, uh, so the original story was 100% science fiction with no magical elements. So Don Bluth, when he makes this film, uh, he adds in the amulet there. So I wanted to see if adding in magic within the story, if, if that had any effect on your designation as well. Obviously none of us are looking at this horror, but does that come close? Is the whole just mysticism in general with no specific source does that any sort of mystery to it that might lend itself closer to horror than if this was if it was absent to me the mystical magical part of it kind of felt out of place somehow like it it seemed like a i don't know a seasoning you add last minute into a recipe yeah i would agree with that and it almost it almost felt a little cheap i guess like i really like this movie but but yeah, like, I don't know, to just be like, oh, they <laughs> they got out of it because of magic <laughs> was, I don't know. I, I As an adult, I don't love that that's, that was the answer. As a, as a child, I was fine with it. But 
yeah anyways i i don't know i do i think i agree it felt out of place and as far as whether that made it feel like horror or not i guess maybe that did take away i haven't thought about this exactly but maybe that did take a little away from the horror because there's all this stuff going on and all these bad things going on but then it's like oh well we can just get get out of it because of magic yeah you just need yourself a sparkly that's all like the movie almost writes itself into a corner and then this is just the solution they came up with yeah (laughs) Although I do think a movie that is just about genetically modified rats that have gained sentience and no magic involved could still equally be horror as much as this could be horror. Yeah, it's it all comes down to what else you do with it, right? So it's just, yeah, does this particular thing add to or take away from the mix? But yeah, you could definitely have it just be... I could imagine a film that was 100% sci-fi with no mysticism, with sentient rats. That could be horror. Easy enough to imagine. All right. Well, is there any other thoughts on that? Anything else, I guess, that comes to mind as far as this movie's horror status? Or maybe just trivia or thoughts on it in general unrelated to that? Would you all know that Will Wheaton voices Martin? Because that blew my mind. I didn't know that until starting to look at this in just recently. Right? So, yeah, it blew my mind, too. Yeah, it's wee little Wesley Crusher rocking out as a sassy mouse. It it kind of made my day when I found that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Shannon Doherty did one of the voices for one of the children, too. I know. Yeah, I think she was the older sister. I forget her name. Was it Teresa? Or yeah, I don't remember. The bossy one. Uh, yeah, she was Teresa. Cool. Well, so I guess in the final thoughts on this, uh, how about review on this? Does Did everybody like the movie? Would you recommend it? Did you not like it that much as an adult? If you saw it as a kid, where do you weigh on it? I mean, it's a solid B animation as far as Bluth animation is concerned. I think that All Dogs is a much better film overall and still has all the feels. Um, but this was a this was definitely a product of its of its time. Like it's kind of a, a retro throwback to watch. You have to give it a little bit of you know leeway and grace. But yeah, I'd give it a solid B. I'd probably tell someone to go watch it if they hadn't seen it before. Yeah, as a kid. Uh... Like I had said, like this was one of my one of my favorite um, children's movies from when I was a kid. So childhood me would definitely give it a an A, um, and also it scared the crap out of me. Adult me is probably more in the like I'm seeing a little bit more of the holes in it and have a few issues with some of the plot. But you know it's a child children's movie, so whatever. But anyways, I'd probably give it more like a, a B, like you're saying. Uh, definitely worth your time, especially. If you like kids' movies. Yeah, I'd recommend it. And also, just like hand-drawn animation, I think, is something that should be treasured and still appreciated by people for years to come. So I always appreciate really... And this has particularly cool animation in it. Yeah, I think that side of it's really good. I mean, it was clearly sort of railing against the machine of the corner cutting that was going on at Disney at that point. You can definitely see in films. Again, as much as I liked Robin Hood from Disney growing up, I can see where the animation on this looks cleaner. And even comparing it to 
The Black Cauldron, which is fun, but it's a it's a shit show. It's a fun shit show. So I I think that this one's it's it's good and I would recommend it. I didn't see it as a kid. I think it's fun to watch. It was fun to watch now. It's not one that's going to be my favorite that I'm going to revisit a lot, but I enjoyed it. All right. Well, I guess that about wraps it up. So thank you for joining us on another episode of Is It Horror? Uh, in two weeks, we will be back. We'll be covering Lock and Key, the comic series. We're going to be covering the first volume, volume one, Welcome to Lovecraft. So join us back here for that. And I have been Steve. And I've been Brianna. And I'm Joe. And, and I've been Matt. But I'm not Matt any longer. Oh, who are you now? I'm a rat. Oh. So cute. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for joining us at Is It Horror? We post new episodes every other Friday. To stay up to date on all things Is It Horror, follow us on Instagram or X at Is It Horror Pod or email us at Is It Horror Podcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, you can recommend us to a friend, follow and rate us on your podcast app of choice, or you can check out our store on Redbubble. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself, Is it horror?